Welcome to the World of Women Create podcast series, where we bring you the magical and innovative worlds of artisans and makers from the pages of our magazines, where women create and what women create, along with special guests who are entrepreneurs and experts in their fields. We love to share great conversation with extraordinary women, women you may be very familiar with and others you may not know. My name is Jennifer Blott, and I am the Editor-in-Chief of Women Create. It is my pleasure to welcome you, our listeners, and all of our guests as we explore the ups and downs, challenges and triumphs, exhilaration and immense joy of living a creative life. A creative life is a life that's rarely stagnant and always leading us down surprising paths. Thank you for being part of our creative world, the world of Women Create. Hello, and welcome to today's podcast with the incomparable Jane Pollock. Jane is a New York City-based artist, author, and entrepreneur, and we were thrilled to feature her in the spring issue of Where Women Create. In this issue, Jane shares her art of business story. Before we get into our questions, I want to tell you a little bit about Jane. She has been an artist throughout her life, and she took a detour for a couple of decades as a coach for creative entrepreneurs, but she reclaimed her role as an artist at the start of the pandemic when everything shut down and she had just learned a new craft, penny rug pillow making. She recreated herself at warp speed, though it felt like millennia to her, accomplishing in less than three years and getting the attention of high-end interior designers, what took decades to build the first time around when her art form was Ukrainian Easter eggs. Welcome, Jane. Wonderful to be here, Jennifer. Thank you for asking me. I feel like we have so much to cover in your creative journey, but I want to start right now with March 2020. I believe you took a workshop one weekend in March on the craft of penny rug pillow making, and then literally everything shut down. In fact, we didn't even know if the class would be held. It was, if everything shut down on the 16th, it was the 14th and 15th. And there were three friends were going and a friend was teaching it, Liz Alpert Fay, who's an amazing textile designer. And it's like, you know, have you heard anything? Have you, no, let's go, let's go. And, you know, we sat, you know, four or five feet apart. She had her own handmade hand sanitizer for us. We didn't hug and greet each other, but there were eight of us in the class and we worked all day Saturday, all day Sunday. And then I uh, had enough material to bring, you know, to finish what I was doing. I, I, I took to, you know, it was like a duck to water. I loved working with fabric. Uh, Liz had done these penny rug pillows for many years and I had wanted to buy one, but they were very expensive. I thought, well, I'm sure I could make one. And I did. And then I had enough to make it. I bought some materials from her and uh, had enough to make another one. And then boom, everything shut down. And so I was sewing and uh, my coaching business, people said, you know, I'm going to take a break because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what I'm coaching towards. So my coaching business kind of went away and all I was doing was sewing and I blogged about it. I said, all I want to do is sew. It was so enjoyable for me. So, um, you know, as everybody did, people were on Zoom and they'd say, well, how are you spending your time? And I'd say, well, I just learned this new craft and I'd hold it up. And people knew I was an artist and they said, oh my God, you should sell those. And it's like, no, 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 no. I've done that. I don't want to do that. Six yeah. months later, I opened up an Etsy shop. You know, it's just like, there was nothing going on. And from everywhere out of the blue, I started getting these um, just nuggets of wisdom. People sent me their button collections. I felt like the universe was picking me up and saying, do this. So it was pretty miraculous. I call it a godsend because I hadn't anticipated it. 
And had it come any other time, I might have said, well, that was nice and just gone on to doing what I was doing. But this, you know, it's like the the um, Red Sea opened up, you know, and I could just walk through it. So I want to be sure that everyone can visualize what a penny rub pillow looks like. Will you will you describe it for us? I'll describe it. But, you know, um, we talked right before we went on about my Ukrainian Easter eggs. And if people haven't seen them, they they just sort of say, Oh, that's nice, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, when I describe a penny rug pillow, I'll describe it. It's a traditional American craft where women had only, and it was women, had, um, you know, we didn't have uh, plastic templates. They had pennies and quarters and teacups and saucers to make circles. And they would cut out circles of different sizes and layer them, applique them to each other, and then onto a larger, mostly black wool ground. And they would become trivets and table runners and pillows. So, and the colors were very muted. They were kind of autumnal colors, wine and green and brown and beige and gold. Um, so that that was traditionally how it was done. There's not a lot of history to it and not a lot of meaning to it, but they were just beautiful ways to use up scraps. And then when you see mine, I, I love to say, I, I like to break the rules in any craft that I do. So I'm doing them on pink backgrounds or white backgrounds or you know other color backgrounds and they're not all lined up and they might be completely randomly spaced and some of them aren't even pillows they're wall hangings at this point so to describe them is it doesn't do it justice you you have to look you have to look at my site or you know on your marketing materials you know what it is that I'm doing because they're they're breathtaking well the photos you shared with us for our issue of where women create are amazing I am captivated by the different buttons. Do you source these? You said you're receiving some from friends. Are they new buttons? Are they vintage? Do some of these buttons have stories behind them? There, um, I I don't think I've bought a button, and I have I can show you boxes of buttons now, um, and you know ways to organize them. So they're mostly vintage, and it's interesting because buttons used to be made out of shells and bones and um, you know other other things. And now there are a lot of plastic buttons. And sometimes I'll use plastic just because it's the color that I want. So I don't have my mother's or grandmother's collection, but I do have other people's. You know, when I when I started doing this, people said, you know, I've been collecting buttons. Would you like mine? It's like, yes, yes. And some of them have stories. When I, you know, when I first identified as an artist and I started teaching high school art in 1972. And um, I, one of the things I taught the kids were quilts. And the way I got fascinated was a friend of mine had on a, a wraparound skirt patchwork and she said, oh, these were my bridesmaids dresses and these were my husband's uh, swim trunks. And she was wearing her history. And I thought, I'm I'm into this. I'm into this. And the same thing with a button that was from Junior's, you know, uh, communion dress or, you know, whatever it was, there's history to it. So I, I love that. Can work with other people's buttons. But now my collection is, uh, you know, ones people have sent me. And have you taken commission work to make a special pillow? Or? I haven't gotten buttons. I had, I've gotten color schemes. Um, mm -hmm. A woman who wrote an article about me, the first press I got a couple of years ago, um, the woman just, you know, as we talked, she said, you know, could I order one of your pillows? And so she sent me pictures of the room it would go in and I matched them up. And I, that was the commission work that I did. You know, the first commission work that I did. Mostly it's people seeing what I do and saying, I want that one. My goal is to work with interior designers who say to their clients, you need two Jane Pollock pillows on this settee. That's the, that's the vision. So, um, you know, that's what I hope to manifest. I like that. I Don't like you? That. <laughs> it's yeah. very clear. It's very clear. <laughs> and those will be photographed on the cover of Architectural Digest. Ooh. So yeah, it's a vision. Yeah. It's a vision. Well, in the short period of time I've known you through working with you on the story, 
um, you definitely come across as a can-do person. Um, <laughs> I can sense your energy and your enthusiasm. And so I don't doubt it. That I don't yeah. doubt that it'll happen. But that actually brings me um, to a question I have for you. And that is, in your story, you mentioned early on um, listening to motivational tapes and trying to come up with ways to sort of clear the negative voices out of your head. Like, you know, who do you think you are? Tell me about that. Do you still get those voices and how do you deal with them? Yes, I call them the committee. <laughs> People have other words for them, a little rhyming thing, the itty bitty <clears throat> committee. Um, and I, of course I get them. You know, the second I, I say something like a high price, it's like, you know, that, that voice arises. But I, you know, this is what I recommend for all entrepreneurs. And it's something that has been long acquired for me are a team. I have so many people to support me. So when I have those negative thoughts and your, your viewers can't um, see this or, but I have something I call my God jar. So mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I'll just put these negative thoughts on a piece of paper and put them in a jar to get them out of my head because they're not my thoughts. They're negative thoughts. And I don't know where they come from my mother and she's long gone my mother's been gone since 2005 but there's you know that old voice no one will ever pay for these jane that's too much you can't charge that much and she was always wrong so i i advise people not to listen to family members they don't hold your agenda the way supportive friends and other entrepreneurs do as bernice brown says in her uh, you know daring greatly ask only other people who are in the arena doing what you're doing and i think that's really sound advice you know not um you know, not a sibling, not a cousin. It's like, you know, Jane, you shouldn't, you know, it's like other people say, this is what I tried. This is what worked for me. Try it and see what happens. So yes, I have those voices and how I counter them are writing them, writing down the fear and putting it into my God box or calling my action partner and saying, this just happened. I want to clear it. So I have, I have loads of people. And as a good friend of mine used to say, she said, you can't fall off the middle. And so I firmly planted myself in the middle of other creatives and entrepreneurs who hold me and support me. So tell me, what is an action partner? So this is something I established. You can call it an accountability partner, or a task buddy, whatever you want to call it. But the way we formulate it is we spend about 20 minutes and we have a very specific format. Um, we each get 10 minutes. I'll talk for seven minutes and then she gives me feedback for three minutes and then we reverse. And then we, you know, we actually say a prayer just to sort of let it go and give it over to the universe. But I have a running sheet of things that I've talked about so I can see what I've been doing over the past two, three, five, seven years, you know, what my goals were three or five years ago. It's like, oh, you know, I mastered that. And here's what it is today. So there's kind of a running record of what I do, what's important to me, and then getting very sound input from somebody who doesn't hold an agenda for me, who really only wants to see me succeed and I for her. And she's a creative, she's an actress, um, a voice coach, a writer, director. She has all these, you know, multi, we call them multi-hyphenates now. And I have many things that I like to do. So she's somebody who reflects back to me who I want to be with support and affection and guidance. You know, sometimes I'm way off base and very gently she might steer me and vice versa. You know, I notice you're saying this, but I'm noticing that your behavior is this, you know, does that work for you? So, um, and, and, and she does that for me. I love it. And, and are these scheduled calls or are they sometimes spontaneous when I, Hey, I need you. Yeah. 
they we have scheduled times Tuesdays and Fridays. She calls me on Tuesdays. I call her on Fridays. And then in between, you know, she's saying, you know, I'm I'm sitting down to do my taxes. Ugh! You know, and then okay, I've done them. It's called bookending before and after you do something difficult, just to put it out there because you know you're you're seeing my surroundings. I'm alone. You know, there's not a water cooler. There's not a cubby to go to the cubicle to the next person. I'm alone. And so it's really important to know there's somebody out there living and breathing who who recognizes that I I also am alone and entrepreneurial. Somebody I just had a call with a client this morning. She said, I feel very siloed. And I understand that the number one um, issue that entrepreneurs have, solo proprietors, is a feeling of isolation. So we have to figure out ways to break that. And the pandemic, of course, intensified that because whatever networking opportunities there were evaporated. Zoom doesn't do it in the same way that shaking a hand, having a pat on the back, you know, breathing the same air does. Absolutely. And so you were still doing your coaching as well as your... I was. So I did have a few hardy clients who continued and and it's picked up enormously. You know, as things are getting back, people are saying, oh, the world is going on. You know, I can make plans. And so it's picking up and I do individuals and I also do groups, which is lovely because then you hear other people coming out of their mouths, the same thing that you, you know, are, are, are um, experiencing. And what's great is what I say, they're called mastermind groups started by Napoleon Hill back in the thirties or forties, 1930s or forties. And he said, um, but what I realize is that I'll give you wisdom. And I, I'm thinking to myself, I should be doing that. You know, so you hear your own wisdom to somebody else and somebody else will give you advice. It's like, I can use that. So it, it's kind of a five or six way circle of support and energizing and accountability. I love it. Well, so you were talking about the the family members, maybe the the chatter or maybe negativity, but you know, one thing that resonated in your story was how your father had told you early on, you know, doesn't matter what you do, just be the best at it that you can be. And that sounded like pretty good advice. It was, it's really interesting because I, you know, I became, if not the best, one of the best Ukrainian Easter egg decorators, you know, it was a very small niche market, but for me, it really suited because I think whatever it is that you do, there's recognition available. And that was as much as I could take in. I wasn't going to be a painter, you know, and compete with all the other artists. I, I picked a niche that was so comfortable and wonderful for me. I just fell in love with the Ukrainian Easter eggs from the second I saw them. It's like, I got it. I've got to do that. And then I built a world around it. So I started doing craft shows and then I started cutting the shells and making jewelry pieces, which quadrupled my business because as my, as my prices went up with my eggs, they started at $8 and ended at $480 when I finished in the early 2000s. I started, you know, people didn't know what to do with a decorative egg, but brooches and earrings and barrettes and cufflinks, they knew what to do with. And I could do four pins on an egg and so I could for 120 each. So there was their $480, you know, doing pins. The market exploded, you know, doing craft shows because they were affordable and people knew what to do with them. So I did that. I wrote a book about it. I did greeting cards. I taught classes and <clears throat> I did workshops. So I expanded entrepreneurially. I'm really an entrepreneur at heart. I expanded the business to be not just sitting and doing decorative eggs, but to talk about my expertise, to talk about marketing goal setting, all the things I learned as an entrepreneur doing art, I could I could teach. And I wrote a book called uh, Soul Proprietor, S-O-U-L Proprietor, 101 Lessons from a Lifestyle Entrepreneur, because my business worked for me. I didn't, I didn't have a business that I was a slave to. I controlled it and I call it lifestyle because I had three children I was raising. 
and I worked from home and I worked around their schedules. So it was very much a lifestyle business, but it was profitable and it contributed to the household income. And you said early on when you started, it was hard to be taken seriously. Probably people hadn't actually seen these eggs and how amazing they were, right? I mean, well, they think of, you know, the ones where you look and there's like chicks inside, like there's a little cutout view and they're, you know, and so I learned to carry a picture because then when they would see a photograph of them, they worked, I'd say, oh, these are museum quality. Our perception is so different and we judge, you know, I judge you, we all judge. And so if I say I'm an egg decorator, they're like, oh, that's nice. You know, where's the, where the, where are the hors d'oeuvres, you know, get me out of here. But I had a good friend, Linda Carr, who was a doll maker. She designed incredible patterns for Vogue. And she just had so much self-assurance. She would just say, I'm a doll maker. And if they walked away, that was their loss. And it took me a while to, to get to that, to say, I'm an artist, you know, because people think, oh, yeah, yeah, everybody thinks they're an artist, you know. And so that's, that's, it's all about them, you know, when they say that. Well, and I know um, your eggs caught the attention of some high profile collectors. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Well, the, the first national recognition I got was a phone call. They said, um, we're calling from the White House. This is the 1980s. Would you consider decorating an egg for the annual Easter egg event? So I briefly considered and I said yes. And that was so that that um, credential followed me throughout my entire career because those eggs that were desi designed for the White House, it was the Reagan administration, became part of the Smithsonian collection. So that was a, an enormous credential that people would attach. You know, she has eggs in the White House. She's in the Smithsonian. But then um, I was on the cover of something called Flax Art and Design. There was a contest and my eggs were on the cover. And I got a call, this was 1991 from Steve Jobs. And I was like, that name sounds familiar. He wasn't the Steve Jobs at that point. You know, he was just sort of somebody, you, you know, if you read Forbes or Inc or something, but it's like, that sounds familiar. And he had seen my eggs on the cover. And the funny thing is I can say this now that he's passed away and he's known to be kind of cheap, you know? And I said, they were 200, 125 each. And he goes, oh, well, I'll take two, you know, instead of he was going to have four and then he took two. Um, but it, that was, you know, just amazing um, kudos from somebody whose taste level, I, you know, I think Mac and Apple are among most tasteful, elegant machinery ever invented. So for him to select me was pretty amazing. Well, and, and speaking of prices, this is something I want to talk to you about. You mentioned it in your story, and I know a lot of the artists in our community have a really hard time pricing their work to reflect what goes into it and, and the inherent value it brings. And I want you to tell me how you go about that. Yeah, I'd say it's a great question. I'm going to be doing a webinar on pricing in a couple of weeks. And I researched, I looked, how many books are there on price? There are 403 million books on pricing, which tells me that there is no definitive, you know, it's not like this is how you price. So it's what the market will bear. What is your overhead and what do you need to earn? And what feels right to you? Those are some of the considerations. And so when I started doing my pillows, I thought $2,500. Now that's not typically what you would pay for a pillow, but I wanted to say, I'm in a different market. These are art. They're, you know, this is not what you're gonna put behind your head when you're watching TV. You know, this is something that you're gonna, it's going to be like a Tiffany lamp. You walk and you say, oh, you have Jane Pollock pillows. So it's, it's a comfort item and it happens to be in the form of a pillow but it's art and I want people, I want it to be treated like art. And the reason art is so expensive is so, so that people will take care of it. So in my research for this webinar, there are two songs on YouTube uh, that are hilarious. One is, um, we don't owe you affordability. And the other is, it costs this much because it takes me effing long to make it. It's a combination of those things. 
when people used to say to me, you know, when I was years ago, when I was coaching, they'd say, well, I can do these while I'm watching TV. It's like, that's not a good mindset. How do you value your time? What, you know, what is this worth? What is the appreciation for this? It's not, I mean, an egg costs me now, now eggs are very expensive, but a few cents each. That's not what I'm going to consider. What's my overhead? How much time am I putting in? What is the aesthetic value of this? How many of these are available on the market? And that becomes, that's how they went from $8 each to $480 each. They were a collectible item. So it really is, I, I took a course a long time ago for women entrepreneurs and there was one instructor, he said, well, as it says in the Talmud, it all depends. And I think that's just great. It, it's just great yeah. advice, you know, but I think most women, most artists and most women, the subset completely underprice themselves. And then they're, they struggle and they're, you know, it's like they feel resentful of the person buying it. So I say market high, market high. It's great advice. And I know these take a long time to create. They take a long time to make, correct? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I choose to do it by hand. I choose to do it all myself. And it's a pleasure for me. But I also know that I only want to sell 50 to 100 a year. I'm not looking to, I'm not mass marketing them. And that the people who know it know that there's, you know, there are only going to be a certain number of these. It's like haute couture or, you know, or any art. There are only a, a certain number and only a few people will be, you know, will have them. People can have photographs. They can have your magazine. You know, they can enjoy them, but that doesn't mean they own them. And I'm okay with that. It's not, it's not my bread and butter right now. And that's, that's an important distinction. If you're doing it to support a family, then you might need to do a different version of it or a machine sewn one or have a cottage industry. But um, at this stage of my life, I don't need to do that. So what would happen if somebody called you tomorrow asking for a hundred pillows? Would you fulfill <laughs> such an order? Would you well, fulfill first, such First, I would uh, call my action partner and go, oh my God, you know, and just go whoop-de-doo. Um, and then I think about it. I had, I, when I was doing the Ukrainian Easter eggs, I did an ornament. They were three for $100. So they were about 35 or $40 each. And a company called, they were looking for gift items for all of their sell it buyers or whatever. And they wanted a thousand, a thousand eggs. I know. And I thought, well, $33,000. And I thought, how many people would I have to hire? How many eggs would I have to buy? How much dye would I have to make? And it's like, you know what? This does not work for me. And the main thing was I'm picturing you know, as I said, people who don't understand the quality of the work or what, you know, the whole story behind it, I can picture them at this holiday luncheon, opening up the thing and going, an egg? Sort of with disgust. Like if somebody gave me a bottle of whiskey, it's like, that's probably nice, but I don't drink whiskey. I, I knew that for a thousand pieces, it wasn't going to be distributed. So I said, no, and, mm -hmm. and I didn't look back. So as the Talmud says, it, it depends, you know, on who it was. I could probably hire people. Um, I could get a, um, a die cut and, you know, do the things much more rapidly rather than hand cutting, measuring and hand cutting them. So I could be capable of doing it. I'm not sure I would want to. And what, you know, like if the Hyatt hotel had a high end thing, it would be an interesting question. I'm, I'm not, the answer is, I don't know. Okay. That's an okay answer for, you know, for artists. You can say, I don't know right now. Let me think about it. You had some really wonderful words of wisdom at the end of your story. Uh, it's not too late. It's not too late to pursue your dreams, to make things happen. It doesn't have anything to do with age. It's not too late. So I want to hear more about that. I really want to encourage people. I hear people, you know, well, I'm 30 and I'm, it's like, I'm going to be 75 in July. And you can look for my pictures. I don't look like I'm 75. I don't act like it. I don't think like it. 
And, you know, normal people wouldn't start a career at 72 or 70, 70 or 70, you know, they just wouldn't, but it happened. I'm doing it. I love it. For me, it's a, a quality of life thing. I'm just so enjoying this time of my life. And I am still coaching. I have children and grandchildren who are don't take up much time at all. But I have this thing that I absolutely love. So, you know, I could die tomorrow or in two years, whatever. But I'm thinking, you know, I, I have a five and a 10 year plan. And I'm enjoying thinking about that. It's really the quality of my life today that is being dictated by this thing that entered my life three years ago that has taken me on a path I would never have been on, which I think is why I call it a godsend, because where did that come from? Really, where did that come from? It was the perfect timing. You know, I learned this craft and the world opens up, the world shuts down and my art world opens up again. And I've always been an artist and I can't remember if this is in the story, but my mother named us. She said, you're the writer, my older sister, you're the artist, you're the pretty one, you're the funny one. And you did. You did yeah, mention in the yeah. story. I loved it. Yeah. And I, and my older sister said, you were lucky. You got to be the artist. And it's like, you know what? I didn't, you don't realize it as you're growing up. You think, well, that's just the way it is. You think that your life is the only way it is. And now I realize how, what an incredible mantle that is to have. And what a privilege to have been given this gift and to then the inner stuff is equally important. I've had to work really hard to say, I deserve to do this. I want to do this. I'm good enough to do this. And that's, that's an inside job. So never too late. Start where, you know, Pema Trojan, the uh, American monk says, you know, start where you are. And I, I support that because your heart knows. And I believe that's, you know, that's what we need to listen to. And so the, when your mom sort of gave you the artist title, how old were you? Well, my brother is seven years younger. So, and he, we didn't know he was funny until he was about six or seven. So I was probably, you know, a teenager. Yeah. I remember we were, uh, we were very privileged and we had a live-in maid who was off Thursday nights and we had the, we fought over who would do the dishes. I did them last week. I did them in two weeks. I don't want to do, you know, it's like, it was terrible. And my brother's down on the, on the floor with a sponge and he goes, oh, well, you know, can I go to the ball with my sisters? <laughs> you know, like, you know, scrubbing up the floor. <laughs> and so he had to be at least five or six years old. So I would say, you know, it's some, somewhere in my early teens, it's like, you know, she just like went around and, and named us. My sister became a literary agent wow. and my brother wrote comedy for years. The the pretty one, um, she actually uh, established a career in uh, money management. So, wow, yeah. they, they knew yeah. you. Wow, they did. they did. But, you know, we were labeled and my mom and I think this is in the article framed. A, a, I did a painting in fourth grade uh, and she framed it. And this was this was before there were like what they called Dax frames, like the box frames, or, you know, you, you could get a frame at Walmart. This is, you had to go to a framer, pay for it, you know, measure the size and all that. So it was a big deal. And it hung in our house for until they sold the house. So that was pretty major to be identified in that way. And I was often pulled out as an artist in college. I remember my uh, Art 101 uh, the literary magazine came in. There was a, we had to do a two-tone um, positive negative shape exercise uh, using, I forget what they call that, uh, not Pantone paper, but a very expensive Prismacolor or something like that paper. And um, the literary magazine picked mine out on the cover. So it was nothing about personality. They just, you know, they liked what I did. And it's like, wow. And that stuff feels better to me than an A on an English paper, which I didn't really get. Usually, you know, just to be noticed for my art was huge. So you have identified as an artist since you were young. And what is your favorite part about being an artist? 
you know, I didn't, I didn't claim it young. I'm claiming it now. And I would say that how I surround myself, I, I think art is not only visual, it's, it's every sensual, every sensory organ that we have. So I choose what I listen to. And I actually like quiet. Um, I choose, you know, the colors that surround me. I choose how I, you know, get filled up by, I go to museums. I, I'm so fortunate to live in New York. So I'll go to a museum or gallery almost every week. Um, I, I just appreciate visual input so much. And I see everything through an artistic lens. And at this ripe old age, I've given myself full permission to say, well, I'm an artist and this is how I take that in. So it's really, um, it's a real gift. And by the way, anybody can have it. They just have to choose it to say, I see this through an artistic lens. So it's not always easy. <laughs> it's not always being any identifying as anything or having any kind of career, but how do you get through the hard times as an artist, as an entrepreneur, as a coach? Yeah, um, a, a lot of it is what I said earlier. It's, you know, through my my teams of people. I don't we don't do this alone and I'm not alone and just keep reminding myself. But the other thing I think, particularly as an artist, is to I read biographies. I love I just went to the Terry. I don't know if I'm pronouncing right. Terry, Terry Muggler show at the um, Brooklyn Museum. It was incredible. And what I realized is he created this amazing world of his own. It was, I mean, you can't even imagine it. One of the dresses was made out of, looked like tires, you know, and the hat was a tire and the, one of the uh, heels on one of his uh, high heels was a key. I mean, just an incredible imagination. He hired the photographers and the photographer said, you know, kept saying, don't do it this way, do it that way. And it was Helmut Lang or Helmut Newton. I can't remember the photographer's name. But the photographer said, why don't you do it yourself? And so he did. It's just like, you know, he just, he knew what he wanted. And I'm realizing as I take ownership of it, I know what I want. I know how I want to live. And it's incredibly empowering, but also to see that other people fought that fight. And I just read, as I was researching the name of his photographer, um, it said, why did he go out of business? He was never profitable. Like, well, isn't that interesting? Only his um, uh, fragrance was profitable, which is very typical. And Isaac Mizrahi, never profitable. He was on, you know, he was like the biggest designer and he never turned a profit. So those things, you know, give me heart. It's like they, I, I have an expression, I live within my means, but my means don't define me. And I love, you know, I love my 827 square foot apartment. You know, it's not gigantic, but it's everything that I want. Um, I had a banner that said, desire what you have. And I have everything I want is, is all around me. I, I just love that. The other thing is I listen to podcasts all the time, like yours, and I hear other people's stories and I take tremendous heart from what it takes to be successful. And nobody waves a wand and says, Boop, your turn. It's really very hard one. And the one I want to mention is um, how I built uh, how I built this, which is, you know, a, a entrepreneurial uh, podcast. And there was a woman who was one of the either founder or co-founder of Rent the Runway. And she's, you know, I, I think she had hired babysitters so she could go and meet. She had an appointment with Diane von Furstenberg. She's going down the West Side Highway and the secretary calls and says, I'm sorry, Ms. von Furstenberg can't meet with you. You know, and she's, you know, you know how that is. You, you're all psyched, you know, you're all there. And so her response is, you're breaking up. I can't hear you. And she showed up anyhow. And <laughs> Diane von Furstenberg met with her for like an hour and a half. You know, like she knew in her heart, this was what she had to do. And those stories, they just, they lift me up. And I, I think my stories lift up other people because we don't, there are certain, you know, we grew up with certain rules and then there's a whole world where people have their own rules. Um, Kusama, the uh, wonderful um, Japanese artist is 93. 
I think she lives in a mental institution. I mean, she was institutionalized. She was doing soft sculptures before Clay Zoldenberg was doing, you know, she got no credit as a woman. And now she's the most prolific and I think the highest paid living artist on the planet, I think. But it's like, you know, I'd like to live to 93 and and then, you know, be in her, you know, walk in her footsteps. So hearing other people's stories is enormously helpful to me. And I, I love the fact that you're going to museums every week. You know, I find more and more people are getting their art through scrolling things. They're they're not seeing things in person. And I really appreciate that. So I went to the Hopper show a couple of weeks ago at the Whitney. And in one room, they have um, all of his theater stubs, ticket stubs. And they were like a dollar. He sat in the balcony. I love, you know, like that just infuses me. And they showed his early illustrations and they he, they had his receipt book. It's like, you know, blah, 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 company, $35 charged, $35 paid. You could have had a hopper for $35 in 19, whatever, you know? So it just, it just tells me they didn't, they didn't emerge. The, it's not out of Zeus's head. You know, there wasn't this goddess that came out. It was really step-by-step, day-by-day. And I think the th- thing I most want to say to artists is, you know, fill yourself up from the inside on a regular basis, because those hits are, you know, they're few and far between, and you have to have something that sustains you in the meantime, whether it's, you know, your own spiritual life, friendship, family, your art, you know, is the mainstay. You know, in your story, you mentioned getting up to speed with social media and technology. Mm-hmm. And, and how has that been? Uh, a grind. <laughs> you know, there's a voice in me that my mother's voice that said, I shouldn't have to do this. I'm too talented. I shouldn't have to do this. Well, nobody's listening and nobody cares. So I had to learn. And you know, I learn slowly, I, I resent it. And then and then I become intrigued by it. Now I'm in love with Instagram. And there's Instagram is just and now, you know, TikTok is surpassing it. But it's like, I don't think I'm going to do TikTok. When I go on TikTok, I don't see my clientele there. I don't see the other artists that, you know, I, I just don't see it there. So I'm sticking with Instagram, which has changed enormously, you know, keeps it keeps um, shape shifting. But I, you know, I take a class, I hired somebody, I thought, I'll hire somebody to do it for me. And then I think, well, I could probably do it myself. And then I took a wonderful class with a woman, Jana Patina Flips, Phipps, and um, it was called Instagram Agility. And it's like, oh, there's a system to this. And I started doing it and I saw my my followers increase. And then I, you know, went on her Instagram live and I got some opportunities and I thought, oh, this is, this is today's press. You know, I was very good about packaging my stuff up for print, the print media, but this is the media now. So I say, jump in wherever you are, you know, again, start where you are, start with your, and my, my daughter, who's very wise um, said, mom, you know, you don't have to be on every platform, choose one, you know, where do you want to be? And, and that's very sage advice because we think, well, I'm missing, you know, I'm missing all those people on LinkedIn. And it's like, so what, you know, so what they'll find me or they won't, there's, there's enough on, on Instagram. And so I continually learn and we have, you know, our our uh, World Book Encyclopedia now is YouTube. So it's like, how do you do this? And then I pause it and it's like, how do you do that? What is that? Pause, pause, do it again, rewind, do it again. My brain isn't as elastic as it was. I think people who are, what do they call it? Uh, uh, digital natives versus a digital immigrant click around and they find it. Whereas like, is this going to break? You know, that kind of thing. But just seeing my followers go up, it's like, it's very reinforcing. It's like, now I'll try another thing. And I have a 17 year old high school girl in my building who comes and works with me. And she just like, she just does it, you know? And so I, I like to hire people too, but I, I provide the content. 
Oh, I love that. So she does she post for you or what is she, what is she? she she'll be here this afternoon and she'll so I want to, you know, post about this article because it's, you know, certainly the best press I've ever gotten. So we're going to map out which days and, you know, which things and we're taking photographs from it and quotes from it. You know, so she'll do that. She does it on Canva. And my learning curve would be too steep for that. So I can pay her generously and she's thrilled and I'm thrilled and she's learning from an entrepreneur. So it's just such a win-win. And it's amazing. I don't know what I'll, she's going to graduate. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do, but uh, she'll introduce me to somebody. But it's sort of, you know, whatever comes next right now, it's just working so beautifully. I am sure that there will come a point in her life. She looks back on time spent with you and how much you influenced her and inspired her. You know, one thing I'd like to say to your listeners, um, when I was, I live in New York now, but I was living in Norwalk, Connecticut, and I knew that Norwalk High School, they won all the awards. So I knew they had a really interesting chairman. So I went over to the high school one day, this was pre-internet, and I introduced myself to Mary Quinlan. And I said, I'd love to get your, you know, a student from you, you know, to come and work. And I live three blocks from the high school. So she started picking out her ACE students for years and years, probably six or seven years, they would come and work for me. And they they all reported back, you know, because then, you know, people were on the phone and, you know, it was pre-internet. So they would hear me dealing with, you know, they would somebody would be hearing this interview. You know, it, it is real modeling of what it was like and then watching me work and watching me disseminate the work to them and divide it up. And it is a great experience, you know, to meet with women who are doing it or anybody who's, you know, in the field that you want to be in to shadow them and to get paid and to learn. So it was, you know, it was such a win-win. I had one of them um, edited my uh, decorating eggs book. And I said, you know what, you will you have a look at this? And she went through and basically copy edited it. She was a high school junior. She was brilliant. So incredible, incredible. I love it. I, I love know, that. I know. Oh, you know, the, the thing is, wherever you are, there are resources all around you. And it's really our job to notice them, to turn around and say, oh, look at that. There it is. You know, not just say, well, you know, that'll come along again. It's like, I think something put that right there for you right now, you know, and to, to know that. And I just think for the student working with you versus working at the coffee house, I mean, right? you, yeah. you were just a dream job, I'm sure for them. Thank you. I think you know? so. She's, you know, she's quiet and lovely and, um, I'm sure she's not, she's not effusive or, you know, um, demonstrative in any way, but she shows up, you know, on the button, always responds to my texts and, you know, is very available to me. So she must like it. So currently is Etsy your primary way of selling your pillows or are you starting to work with those designers directly? How, how do people find and buy your work? Etsy is my platform for selling mainly because I, I do have my pillows on my website, but I don't want to do e-commerce. I just find um, sales tax to be incredibly daunting, you know, because you have to collect it for every state that you sell to. So I, um, I collect for New York state, um, but it's more word of mouth. And I've sold several pieces on Etsy, but um, I'd say the best sale I had, this was so wonderful. I was giving a demonstration in um, lower Manhattan at a, it was a crafts club and I had no expectation, no expectation of sales. I was going to demonstrate how to do the penny rugs. I had kits made for everybody. And there was a couple there who were talking about their home in Palm Springs. And I said, oh, I was last year, I was at Joshua Tree uh, National Park, which is very close to Palm Springs. And I actually did, I brought the pillow. It was just a top, it was actually an artwork. I said, here's a textile that I did of that. And they loved it. And so after I gave the demonstration, one of them came up to me and said, um, you know, we're really interested in that piece. And I was like, 
oh, very nice. And they said, how much is it? And I said, um, 2,500. It just like came out of my mouth. And he said, he looked surprised. And he said, let me ask my husband. And he came back five minutes later and put his credit card down. And I was like, I, I've hit it on the button, literally, figuratively. And um, I sold it to them right there. And so that became my that became my established price on, on the ones that are require a lot of work. The pillows can be anywhere from 400 to 2,500. And then the wall hangings, I have a large framed wall hanging that's 5,000 um, because it's a bigger piece and it's already framed and framing is, as you know, very expensive. But my, my main drive where I'm putting all my energy is really to marketing to um, interior designers, particularly the 80 top 100. American uh, Architectural Digest Top 100. So I'm sending them. I'm sending them the article from Where Women Create. I'm sending them the magazine. I love it. I love it. So we're your first story of 2023, yes. and in the perfect world, which other magazines, which other publications would be featuring you this year? Well, uh, the cover of Architectural Digest. I'd like to be in El Decor, um, ha uh, Home and Garden. I'd like to be in um, Town and Country. I'd like to be featured in, oh, at, you know, Wall Street Journal, uh, New York Times. Um, there's something called, you know, and these are things I don't even know, the Financial Times from London. Mm -hmm. There's a thing, it's uh, called How to Spend It. And it's on the weekends and they're, you know, very, very pricey. But I have my I have my messengers out there who say, Jane, you should be in this. It's like, yes, ma'am, uh, you know. And so I am following them on Instagram. I'm sending them things. And one of the things I'm sure you know in publishing is there has to be something new or news. So I can't just say, you know, I'm an artist. So um, somebody has, I, I actually have a team that uh, coaches me. They're a branding team. And they said, see if you can do a collaboration because a collaboration is news. So I, I'm sending the magazine to some of my favorite designers to say, I would love to do a collaboration, whether it's a pillow for a show house, like a Kips Bay show house or Miami, you know, whatever, um, you know, and to work with somebody. And there's that so much synergy when you work with another artist. So um, you know, I'm open to what comes from it, but also being discovered is quite wonderful. Sounds like you're busy. <laughs> I am, you know, I'm, I'm full and satisfied and I'm, and I keep up with it because I do, um, you know, I do know how to manage my time really well. And I took, I did something called stitch camp last week, which was really fun. It's a textile organization out of London or Eng somewhere in England and, you know, thousands of people around the world. So I had, I, I made time for, you know, and I also feel like I'm, you know, that there's a tsunami is going to hit when the magazine comes out, you know, and, and I actually made a list of a hundred things I'd like to have happen as a result of where women create. So I, I, I put it out to the universe. This is what I'd like to have happen. So I thought, you know, name it. You know, this guy gets, comes up to, you know, the pearly gates and says to St. Peter, you know, look at all these people driving Teslas and whatever Mercedes. He said, and I only had a Ford. He goes, he said, you only asked for a Ford. So I'm asking the universe, bless me. You know, this is what I'd like to have happen. Oh, I love it. I'm rooting for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> What's one thing that people are generally surprised to find out about you, Jane? Uh, my age. You know, they're, they're like, what? <laughs> what? What? You know, that I have that I was married for 38 years and uh, divorced and have three grandchildren, three children and three grandchildren. Um, you know, it's it's sort of like that's not part of my life. I mean, for years, that was my life. That was all you knew about me was that I was a mom. And now you might not know that about me, that I've had this whole other life. I loved and that's why that's why the start with where you are. There are people who are I remember going to an alumni event you know, with young children. I thought, will people ever see me without stains on my shirt again? 
And there was a mother, you know, woman there who said, you know, it was 15 years. And I was like, oh, that's too long. But it was 15 years, you know, it was 15 years where I was devoted to family and then started to emerge. It's, I, I, I wrote a memoir and I said, at, you know, one point there's like, they, there was no more tears at the table. It's like, well, we ever have a dinner where there aren't tears, you know? And then it's like, oh, nobody cried tonight. Nobody, the milk wasn't spilled. And, and at one point you wake up and you say, oh, I actually, I mean, here I am living singly in New York. I never, you know, this was not in my script. It was not in my script. Wow. And you moved to New York about 10 years ago? Exactly 10 years ago. Yeah, it was, um, I could tell you, October 15th of 2012. So now it's, yeah, so it's 10 and a little over 10 years. Such a good decision. And you could never, you know, I would never have imagined. But um, when I was getting divorced, I I came into the city all the time. I lived an hour away and I came in all the time. And I was at, a, a, I love Broadway. And I was at a show with a friend and she had moved from Wilton, Connecticut to New York a few years before. And at intermission, I'm telling her about the divorce, separation and divorce. And she said, what's keeping you in Connecticut? So sometimes like a really well-placed question. And I was like, hmm, kids are grown. Work is virtual. Social life will be better in New York, you know? And um, 18 months later, I moved to New York. Sometimes, you know, just here, you know, being in the right place at the right time can be pretty miraculous. And as you can hear, I'm an action taking person. So like, what do I need to do to move to New York? Hmm, I got it. Well, and just the stimulation, just being able to go outside your door and go to a show this week, go to an exhibit next week to go to an art opening to, yeah. All of that, all of that. I'm going to a show, I'm going to a matinee tomorrow. I'm going to, I went to the Terry Muggler last week. I um, I went to the Lace show at the Bard, you know, Bard Graduate Center. You know, everything is within reach. And what's really nice is that a certain New York um, has something called Culture Pass. So I get to do a lot of things for free. You can I'm going to the Met on Friday with a friend. You know, it just it's it, it's just part of my week. It's not like, oh, a museum, you know, let's go in in January or, February. you know, it's like, oh, let's go Saturday and then I can go again on Sunday. Plus the population here. Uh, are just, uh, you know, it's intense. And I, I like intensity. Not, it's not for everybody. People, you know, and I have leaves out my window. So I, I get some greenery. I'm right near a beautiful park. But I love intensity. And I love the nature of conversations that I overhear at a Starbucks are, well, the director for this is going to be blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, they're just like very high level conversations, because in New York, it's a hub. And that's, it's attracting people who want that to be in the hub. And I'm, I'm in Washington Heights. So it's a little bit, you know, it's not, it's not smack dab in the middle of everything. So it's, it's quiet where I live, which is really nice. And the buildings are only six stories tall, mostly. So it feels more European up here, but I love it. I can get on the A train and be downtown in 20 minutes. I was going to ask about that. Are you mainly public transit and walking? Is that how you get around? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny. Uh, my sister, my younger sister said, uh, do you get into the city much? It's like, I live in the city. <laughs> <laughs> I resent that question. I live in the city. Um, so I go, you know, I probably three or four days a week. I'm downtown. Um, I have something I do at the LGBT center every weekend. So I'm always downtown. So I try to arrange things around there, you know, anything that's 13th street. So I, you know, I'll go to a museum or a show. I just went to see the um, Steven Spielberg movie and I'll just go on my own. I don't, you know, I don't even need to ask anybody. I just go. So it's, um, you know, it's a, what does Forrest Gump say? You know, it's like a box of chocolates. I just get to keep picking. 
I love it. Are you a frequent guest to speak to community groups, art groups? You know that I I was in my egg days and that's beginning to happen again. I can see I've been on a number of podcasts. The invitations are beginning to come in. I love to speak about it. As you can see, I'm passionate about it. I have a very clear message about it. So it's really getting the word out. And that's what I'm in the process of doing now. And, and your magazine will help me enormously in that because I'd like to, one of my things on the hundred list of a hundred is to speak you know, to groups and with Zoom to speak all over the world. I would love to do that. Well, keep us posted on that. I sure want will. To, we want to spread the word. Yes. And I want to spread your word too, because you do such good work. It's really a privilege. And I have to say that when I opened the frontispiece, I gasped at seeing my work. And, you know, I didn't know that was going to happen. I just was, I was, oh my God. I called my action partner. Guess what? <laughs> I mean, you can, in, in that spread, you can see the texture of yes. your work. You can, you can, uh, you yes. can touch it. It's amazing. Yeah. Yes. And that's when people see them in person, they say, oh, they're so much better in person, which I know is true. I know it's true because exactly for that reason, the, you know, the, the contrast of the wool and the, um, the, you know, the hardness of the buttons and the softness of the um, stitching, you know, are just amazing. And I do, I do a lot of beading and sequins and things. So it's fun to, you know, have that variety. I'm going to pose one question to you that we like to ask our guests. If you were to host a dinner party with five creative guests, living or dead, who would they be and why? I love that question. And I've given it quite a bit of thought. Um, and I was I was really delighted with my answer because it surprised me. So I just, I, I as I say, I listen to podcasts all the time. And I recently heard Michelle Obama being interviewed on Conan O'Brien. And she mentioned how she was really into crafts. And she thinks that when people are using their hands, you know, just good things happen. So Michelle Obama would be number one. I would, first of all, I, I admire her so much. I would love to meet her and I would love for her and um, Barack to order two of my pillows. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd love to meet her. Um, Oprah, you know, I've admired her forever. I think that she has changed the world in so many ways. I think she's enormously creative and very appreciative of, cre uh, of creativity and to see what she's, the empire that she's built. And that she has stuck with her values throughout. And, you know, I just see her as a very, very strong woman. Um, I uh, People aren't going to know this name probably, but Mary Martin was, you know, an incredibly famous um, Broadway uh, musical performer. She she originated the role, I think she originated, originated the role with Peter Pan. And I saw her, the first play I ever saw in New York, my parents were big theater goers, was um, Sound of Music. And it was starring Mary Martin. This was in the late 1950s. And my mother said something that was really interesting. She said, um, when you see Helen Hayes perform, you just think, wow, what an incredible performer. But when you see Mary Martin perform, you feel great about yourself. Like you feel so lucky. And so I thought I would like to be around that. Um, I would like, this person has passed away. She was one of my dearest friends, Doreen Birdsell. She was a photographer. I met her in 96, 97. And she and I became incredibly good friends. She was the most deeply spiritual person that I knew. And we would talk to each other many times a day about our art, about what we charged, about getting paid, all those things. And I miss her desperately. She was the person who said, um, you can't fall off the middle. And also another quote I have is that um, God is seldom early, but never late, which was very reassuring to me. So to have Doreen's be in her presence again. And uh, one of the women from Architectural Digest, one of the top designers is Joy Moyler. And um, when I was going through originally, and, you know, it's not like I want to work at any top designer. When I went through the magazines, it's like, I love her style. I love who she is. I love how she presents herself. I follow her on Instagram. 
I, I, I cold called her and she picked up the phone, you know, I know, I know. So, um, you know, I would love to, and I'm sent, I sent her a, a copy of the magazine, you know, and I would love to collaborate with her. So I can imagine the sparks that would fly at that dinner. Sounds great. You want to come? And you, I, Jennifer. I, please, let me pick it back. I want to come right. over. It'll be a potluck, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Not a good cook, but I bake. I can bake something nice. There you go. So. <laughs> there you go. Right. And it would really be about the conversation. The food is almost irrelevant. Exactly. It, it was wonderful having you as a guest today. It is my hope that all of these hundred things come to fruition. Thank you. Um, anything else you would like to leave us with today? I, I think I'd go back to, uh, you know, do something, take an action, you know, move a muscle, change a thought, do, you know, pick up, pick up a needle, pick up a brush, do something because the act, the physical act of putting pen to paper, paint to canvas, thread, needle and thread to fabric is in itself an act of belief. And I think that just doing it makes us feel better. We're so separated from our senses at this point, you know, keyboards and screens and all that, but to actually touch something, you know, material, I, I, I couldn't advise it more um, heartily. Right. Well, thank you, Jane. You've been an inspiration. And this week, the Where Women Create issue featuring you will be at newsstands. This is the week of January 31st. And um, your story is a wonderful story. And I wish you luck with everything you do. I just have a feeling that you're going to do everything on that hundred item list. Thank you. Luck, and, luck helps. And I, yeah. um, my, I have a newsletter coming out and I, I hope that, you know, whoever listens subscribes to it because it's great. Somebody said to me, Jane, you belong in where women create. And it's like, Oh yes. You know, the second I saw it, it's like, I need to be in this. And I applied. I mean, it wasn't, you didn't pick me out of the, um, you know, the universe. It was like, I went after it. And that's another thing I would advise go for what it is that you want. Don't wait to be discovered. It's not a, it's not a strategy. And so I wrote to you and you wrote back within two hours, you know, because I was ready. And I think that's, you know, that's pretty exciting. You know, I do believe in timing. Your, your email came on a day where somehow it caught my eye and immediately I sensed the beauty of your work and your story. You impressed me as someone whose story would be wonderful in the magazine. You sent high quality images of your work. Everything was there. I just, I was thrilled to receive that email. I was Thank thrilled. You. One of my early motivational tapes I used to listen to was Earl Nightingale. And he said, luck is when preparedness meets opportunity. And I was prepared, you yeah. know, and then the opportunity came because I had, I had bought this media list and it's like, there's where women create. And you had a very clear you know, what it is you're looking for. And it's like, I think I fit right in there. And so I went for it because a lot of people will say, no, nah, I don't think I deserve it. And it's like, you know what, let them decide. I'm not, I'm not going to decide for you. So I was ready. Well, here's the other thing, Jane, um, that's really important is you, you had a, a fairly accelerated deadline. You were able to put your story <laughs> and, and images together in record time. Like you, you went for it. You, you, you worked very quickly. You had everything organized and it was really impressive. Thank you. Uh, there's, you know, when you're 74, there's an urgency, <laughs> you know, and a readiness, you know, I wasn't, you know, in my thirties, it'd be like, who's going to make dinner? Who's, you know, it's like, now it's like, okay, what do I need to do? I've got these things. I, you know, I, you know, the photographer, I need, you know, this taken out this one, you know, and I was like, I've, I've got it all. I've got it all in hand. It doesn't mean it was easy. But I was like, I'm devoting my time to doing this. That's what I would say to my action partner. I'm going to spend two hours on where women create today, you know, and that's what I did. So 
there's there's that too I was you know I was thrilled when you said it could come out in January you know late January it's like yes yes I, I'm not waiting till April no 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 <laughs> well I'm thrilled that you were able to put it all together yeah and thank you the one thing I really loved was that you sent some archival photos I love that you know, you know that's showed you it, working on your Ukrainian yes. Easter egg yeah, I just heard, you know, because I network with so many artists, I heard uh, I was in an advisory session with somebody and he said those are, he used the term uh, legacy, I think, or vintage, you know, because she said, how do I price my older work? He goes, that's vintage. That's even more, you know, it's like, oh, there are words for this. And I, you know, I had all that stuff. So, and I think it, I had to laugh because you said, are there more in your studio? I said, that's my studio. You know, those two walls are my studio, but um you know, and, and that's why I say to people, if I can do it from here, and I, I had written a blog post years ago, Mark Bittman is a, a food writer for the yes. New York Times. And there were pictures of him in his kitchen, and he had no counter space. It's like, if Mark can do it, I can do it, you know, so I just want to give people um, inspiration that wherever you are, you can start. I love it. Well, thank you. Yeah, and it's so nice to meet you. Thank you again for joining us today for a World of Women Create podcast. In a world filled with endless stories, it is our mission to share the memorable personal journeys and lessons learned of the extraordinary women in our community. Their stories are stories that enlighten us, inform us, and ignite the creativity that lives in each of us. Women Create is grateful that you are part of our creative world.